Mark chapter 6, starting at verse 14. And we'll be going through verse 29 today. Before we do so, let's go again to the Lord in prayer and ask that He would help us as we open His holy word. Let's pray. Our Lord Jesus, as we come to Your word, we pray that You would help us with it because we struggle even with the simplest truths therein. And so particularly as we come to this text that talks about our own tendencies in sin, we pray that you would open our eyes to see how we stray from you and that you would draw us closer to you, that you would even do whatever it takes to draw us closer to you, that we might better serve you and that your name would be glorified. We pray this in your holy name. Amen. So as I read through Mark chapter 6, and it kind of just, the story is just kind of takes a, an odd turn, and it represents a new section of the book. As I read through this, it reminded me of this concept that's called the moral compass. This is something that you've all heard of, I'm sure, and it's used in many realms. When I think of it, I think of literature quite a bit, and how literature has used this concept of the moral compass, and it is... You know, it could be easily defined as a person's ability to tell the difference between right and wrong. Sometimes that thing or that idea shows up as an actual character in a story who serves kind of as the story's mooring in morality, keeping the other characters in check. My favorite version of this in literature is the character of Starbuck in Moby Dick. Fantastic book if you've never read that. Uh, he's the first mate of Ahab, and Ahab's kind of a crazy captain, and Starbuck tries to keep him grounded in reality, but ultimately doesn't prevail to that. Sorry if I spoiled the ending. Another example is the film, you know, Pinocchio. You've all heard, you've all probably seen the film, which is actually just a short story. And uh, Jiminy Cricket, of course, in that is the conscience of Pinocchio, and he's trying to make Pinocchio or help Pinocchio to make good choices and of course he doesn't listen and that's what makes it a fun story I guess unless you're Pinocchio we get the idea it's been portrayed in many ways even a, I think most popularly you see it kind of as the little angel on the little devil on people's shoulders right and the person listens to both and then they make a decision based on what those little angels and devils are saying I think this, rep this represents the battle that we all have within us I think particularly in the life of a believer who has this new nature in Christ, yet continues to battle with the flesh. Even the unbeliever has some semblance of this, though dead in their trespasses and sins. We, we read in the scriptures that the law is written on their heart. And they know, they know right from wrong, even if they suppress the truth. So in our text today, we have a bit of a side story concerning the death of John the Baptist and a man by the name of Herod Antipas, who was the ruler of the region of Galilee for Rome. As we'll discover, Herod had his own moral compass, and it was in the form of John the Baptist. How Herod reacts to John's teaching and the subsequent events of the story give us a very clear picture of this battle that rages within each of us, whether you're a believer or an unbeliever. The battle is different, of course, if you're an unbeliever, 
But even an unbeliever can recognize good when they see it, even if they just don't want to believe it. However, it is possible for someone to become so hardened that they no longer react to good. And we're going to see that as well. So as we come to this text, I want to consider three main ideas. Introduction of sin, the point of decision, and the hardening of the heart. And so with that, let's look together at the text, Mark chapter 6, starting at verse 14. And let's stand together in the honor of the reading of God's holy word. Mark chapter 6, starting at verse 14. King Herod heard of it. For Jesus' name had become known. Some said, John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. That is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. But others said, he is Elijah. Others said, he is a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But when Herod heard it, he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in the prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother, Philip's wife, because he had married her. For John had been saying to Herod, It is not lawful for you to have your brother's wife. And Herodias had a grudge against him and wanted to put him to death, but she could not. For Herod feared John, knowing that he was a righteous and holy man, and he kept him safe. When he heard him, he was greatly perplexed, and yet he heard him gladly. But an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. For when Herodias' daughter came in and danced, she pleased Herod and his guests. And the king said to the girl, Ask me whatever you wish, and it will be given to you. And he vowed to her, Whatever you ask me, I will give to you up to half of my kingdom. And she went out to her mother and said, For what should I ask? And she said, The head of John the Baptist. And she came in immediately with haste to the king, saying, I want you to give me at once the head of John the Baptist on a platter. The king was exceedingly sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. And immediately the king sent an executioner with orders to bring John's head. And he went and beheaded him in the prison and brought his head on a platter and gave it to the girl. And the girl gave it to her mother. When the disciples or when his disciples heard of it, they came and took his body and laid it in a tomb. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. Just for a bit of context here, at this point in Mark, we're reaching a new section in the text. Up to this point, we've had Jesus' teachings and his ministry in this region, and now he's going to be withdrawing from the region, primarily because Herod has now taken interest in him. Herod has become interested in Jesus, which wouldn't have been good for Jesus in the long run, ultimately, since Herod didn't like being told that he was a bad person and in need of repentance, as we see from the story. So the purpose of this interlude was to set that up for us, to see the character of Herod, the reason that Jesus kind of shifted his ministry to another region. In Mark's gospel, we don't get a lot of pre-story concerning John the Baptist. Again, Mark's gospel is kind of this very much to the point kind of treatment, whereas Mark and or Matthew and Luke kind of meander through the details a bit more. John's sermon, particularly in Luke chapter 3, brought the house down on the Pharisees, as he called them a brood of vipers, and he said to them, Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees, warning them of the coming judgment. John's message was one of repentance, similar to Jesus. 
except that John was pointing to Jesus, of course. John said that Jesus planned to burn the chaff with an unquenchable fire, which put hedonists like Herod on notice. In our text, we read that Herod had arrested John for this particular reason. In Luke chapter 3, we read this same kind of thing, that John had been preaching not only against the marriage that Herod had, but also of all the evil things that Herod had done. Herod had enough. He could no longer have this moral compass speaking to him out in public, so he had him put away. And that brings us to our first point, the introduction of sin. Look with me at verses 14 through 16 again. King Herod heard of it, it being the, the reputation of Jesus, For Jesus' name had been known. Some said John the Baptist has been raised from the dead. This is why he's doing miraculous powers. Others said he is Elijah. Others said he's a prophet, like one of the prophets of old. But Herod heard it and he said, John, whom I beheaded, has been raised. So here we see that the majority of our text is really just a flashback. It's kind of setting up why is Herod interested in Jesus. It had to do with Herod's hearing about him, becoming concerned that John was coming back to haunt him and his lustful lifestyle. Little did he know that Jesus wasn't just another prophet of old, but he was the prophet who was to come, preaching repentance and forgiveness. Unlike John, Jesus would also bring the axe, just like John said he would, and the authority to judge folks like Herod, like us, For our sins, you can almost picture Herod kind of squirming here as he realizes that this Jesus may be around and this Jesus may actually just be the second coming of John the Baptist. He took care of this problem or so he thought when he had John killed, but John was only the messenger. Now the true son of the father, God, is there with them. The allusion here to Elijah has to do with the prophecy that's found in Malachi 4. This refers to the return of the prophet Elijah, the day of the Lord. It's one of the last verses of the Old Testament, actually. Jesus will tell us later in this book that John was the fulfillment of that promise, and now John was dead. But you get the idea. The people saw Jesus, but they didn't see him clearly. They were still wondering, who is this Jesus? And here, Herod is almost seeing him. For who he really is. It's like having a little angel on his shoulder. That the angel is starting to make some sense to him. At this point in the story. He's starting to wonder about what's going on. You get this a bit further when you read verses 17 and 18. For it was Herod who had sent and seized John and bound him in prison. For the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. Because he was married to her. Again, this is that whole idea that he was feeling kind of guilty for this sin that he had committed his marriage to this woman Herodias is sinful in several ways first it was he married his brother's wife we call that adultery he was also related to Herodias as you could probably guess by her name he was her uncle and it wasn't legal to marry your niece that was called incest Herodias as her name indicates again was very closely related To this whole family. So John's message was against this clear sin in the life of Herod. Herod was a leader in Galilee, 
John's sermon then would serve as a way to point to the sins of others, the normal folk that were standing around. You see this again in Luke chapter 3. I've mentioned that chapter several times. I encourage you to study that in your own this week as you study the scriptures. As John is calling out the Pharisees, as he's calling out Herod, what this does is it causes the other people to repent and to ask, what shall we do about our own sin? And so notice his reaction to John's preaching, verses 19 and 20. Herodias had a grudge against him, which we get. But Herod feared John. This concept of fear is just all over the place in this book. Knowing that he was a righteous and holy man and he kept him safe. He didn't want any harm to come to John, even though he had him in prison. Because when he heard him, he was greatly perplexed. Yet, he continued to hear him gladly. Herodias had it in for John. The language there suggests that Herodias wanted nothing more than for John to be killed on sight. She no longer recognized the good of John's preaching. She had lost any sense of morality. The little angel was no longer present. It was only the little devil, and it was her. Yet Herod was still interested. He feared John. He knew that John was a righteous man. He wanted to keep him safe. Even though his teachings greatly perplexed him, he still heard it gladly. I think we all understand this to some point or another. This is important because here what we see is Herod is still able to wrestle with his sin. We see that Herod is still pliable. He still realizes, hey, you know what? What I'm doing probably isn't right. John is preaching directly against him, and he doesn't have John killed, even though he could have. We see this a few places in Scripture. It makes me think of Paul's imprisonment. As you read the latter chapters in the book of Acts, what does Paul do every time he comes to one of the rulers of the area? He preaches the gospel to them. And what do you see over and over again? Well, there's these characters like Felix and and Agrippa. And they call Paul in so that he can preach, even though they don't really like what he's having to say. And Agrippa even says, in a short time, you would persuade me of the gospel. And so we see this. What about for Christians? Well, let me encourage you. Think about your own sin. Think about the sins that weigh on you just like this sin is weighing on Herod. We all have that moment before those sins, and we know what they are, where you say, I know this isn't right. You may not voice that, but you know it's not right. Herod is having that moment right here. We see that he has a decision to make concerning this type of sin. That's what brings us to the next point, the point of decision. So Herod's birthday is here, and like modern day folks... Herod used this opportunity for complete self-absorption and rank hedonism. And so if you, you see this started there at verse 21, an opportunity came when Herod on his birthday gave a banquet for his nobles and military commanders and the leading men of Galilee. So he gathered all these special people and had his great niece dance before them. The daughter of Herodias was likely in her teenage years here because of the language that she used, the history that we have about her in particular. We don't really know what exactly is going on here, but we know that this wasn't a dance recital. And her dancing pleased all the men there. 
And in their state of pleasure and likely drunkenness and who knows what else, Herod, in a moment of absolute stupidity, looks to her and says, verse 23, whatever you ask me, I will give you up to half of my kingdom. Wow. Pretty incredible. To his great niece who had just performed in front of them. Now, this was the opportunity that Herodias was waiting for. You know that she was waiting for something. She uses it to trap Herod into doing something that he didn't want to do. His daughter asks for the head of John the Baptist to be served up on a platter, and that's exactly what she gets. One of the greatest men in history is taken down by a drunken pleasure party. Crazy. Don't miss what's going on here with Herod, though. Verse 26. Look at verse 26. And the king, Herod, was exceedingly sorry. But because of his oaths and his guests, he did not want to break his word to her. Herod wasn't a believer in Jesus Christ, but he knew John. He knew John to be a holy and righteous man. And he was always glad to hear his teaching. Maybe in a short time. John could have convinced Herod the Lord would have saw fit to soften the heart of Herod to the gospel. Instead, we see just the opposite happen here. Because he wanted to save face in front of his guests, he relented and gave the girl exactly what she asked for. Earlier, I asked you to think about your own sins. Christians, you have those sins that you have kept around. Do you not? Unbelievers, if you are here, you also have those sins that you are more prone to than others. We don't just do every sin, we just have a few that we really like. This is going to be different for each person, of course. For myriad reasons, Herod's sins were obviously those of a sexual nature. But for others, it could be greed Lust of money could be lust of prestige and notoriety could be hatred and cynicism. You know you and hopefully up to this point, you've been contemplating your own sin, particularly in this these kinds of sins. Because notice what happened to Herod here. He held on to his sin for so long that it left him in a place that he no longer had control over it. It trapped him. Like Pinocchio starting to turn into a donkey, Herod's sin is trapping him, causing him to make a horrible decision. I've told you this story before, but it bears repeating. When I was in college, I shared the gospel with a guy at a frat party, and I brought him to the point of decision, and he thought about it, and he said, when I'm ready to settle down, this will be a good idea, this, talking about the gospel. Well, I've seen him recently, and he still hasn't, isn't ready to settle down with anything but his alcoholism. Understand in college that party life was just fun and harmless, right? But now for him, it's all encompassing. It controls him. Partying is an easy sin to pick on because it's just so loud and obnoxious, right? And 
you know, most of us don't do it, so we can easily just kind of point fingers, those silly college kids or whatever we do. But our country club sins are really no different than theirs. Whether it's the lust of money or fame or sexual sins or pride or arrogance, whatever it is, these sins are the things that get in the way and they are the ones that cause us to say, when I'm ready to settle down, then God's word will be a good idea for me. And when we're ready to settle down, we may no longer have that choice. Like Herod here. Like Herod, our moral compass could be nothing more than a head on a platter served up at our own birthday pleasure party. That brings us to the third point, the hardening of the heart. We know the rest of Herod's story. When we see him next time is when Jesus is going to be before him, just about to be crucified. We find this in Luke chapter 23. Quickly turn there with me. We don't have this account in Mark's gospel. Luke chapter 23, starting at verse 6. Remember, Jesus is arrested. And then Pilate sends him to Herod because Herod was the, the, the ruler there in Galilee. And Jesus was a Galilean. It says, when Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he heard that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at the time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him. Right? We read that in Mark 6 today, because he had heard about him. Now, notice the difference here, however. And he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him some at length, but he made no answer. Jesus made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him. And Herod, with his soldiers, treated him with contempt and mocked him, then arrayed him with splendid clothing and sent him back to Pilate. Remember, the Herod of Mark 6 had some interest in Jesus. The Herod of Mark 6 was still pliable, right? He still had some interest in the message of repentance. He even heard the message of John gladly. And maybe he would have heard the the message of Jesus gladly. But look there at Luke 23. He was hoping to see some sign done by him. He was still living at his birthday pleasure party. Make some wine, Jesus. Heal someone, Jesus. Come on, Jesus, do something. Treating the King of Kings and Lord of Lords like a traveling circus act. Notice Herod questioned him and see Jesus' response. He had nothing to say to Herod. The chief priests and the scribes accused him. Herod and his soldiers mocked him and dressed him up. And Jesus said nothing. Don't miss this because Herod was to the point with his sin, the son of man was no longer preaching to him the message of repentance. Jesus had nothing to say to Herod at this point. In his commentary, Sinclair Ferguson says this of this passage. He says, the lesson is crystal clear unless we silence sin. Hear this. This is great. Unless we silence sin. Sin will silence conscience. Unless we heed God's word, the day may come when we despise God's son. And then God will have nothing more to say to us.
Christian, consider your sin. Have you got to the point where it no longer bothers you? Has it silenced your conscience? Is the Holy Spirit no longer speaking to you about that sin? If so, you are in a dangerous place. What can you do if you find yourself there? Well, we have a forgiving Savior, thankfully. He's merciful. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and He is just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Only the Savior can turn that conscience back on. So pray to Him. Seek His face. Fall on your own face before Him. We cannot find ourselves outside of His love and mercy, thankfully, as as His own people. He is a good Savior. He will save us even in our own sins. For the unbeliever, if you don't turn from your sins, you will find yourself in the place of Herod, where Jesus is only just some sort of passing sideshow to you. Yet one day Jesus will look at you from his throne and he will say, Away from me, worker of lawlessness, I never knew you. Hear the voice of the Lord today. Do not harden your hearts to the voice of God, but instead turn to Jesus Christ. He is faithful. He will take away your sins. And in its place, He will give you His own righteousness. That is the truth of the gospel. Repent of your sin and turn to Him in belief. So in conclusion, Christians in Christ, we are safe from eternal death. Praise God. We are not completely removed from our sin. We have to deal with it here in this world. We must daily put it away. We must daily fight against it, lest it control us. Let us more and more seek Jesus that we might put away our sin and instead turn to him. And through us and through this, let us call a dying world to repentance so they might see the Lord and call upon his name and be saved. Let's go to him in prayer. Our Lord Jesus, as we read this story about Herod, it may be easy to point fingers and think, thankfully, I'm not like him. Please help us if that is our attitude, because we are further and further away from you than we know. Lord, help us to see our own sin, to cast it down, and to lift you high. We pray this in your holy name. Amen.